0: Have your Bibles, or if the text is in the, the worship guide, we are reading from Genesis 39. Genesis 39 from verse 1. Now Joseph had been brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, And put him in charge of all that he had. From the time that he made him overseer in his house and over all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptians' house for Joseph's sake. The blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in house and in the field. And he left all that he had in Joseph's charge. And because of him, he had no concern about anything but the food he ate. He is not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept back anything from me except you, because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And as she spoke to Joseph, day after day, he would not listen to her, to lie beside her or to be with her. But one day... When he went out into the house to do his work, and none of the men of the house were there in the house, she caught him by his garment, saying, Lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and got out of the house. And as soon as she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and he had fled out of the house, she called to the men of her household and said to them, See, he has brought among us a Hebrew to laugh at us. And cried, he left his garment beside me and fled out of the house. As soon as his master heard the words that his wife spoke to him, this is the way your servant has treated me, his anger was kindled. And Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. And he was there in prison. But the Lord was with Joseph This is God's holy, inspired, and inerrant word. It's prayer. Father God, we thank you that your word is the bread of life. It truly sustains us and builds us up and grows us in Christ. Thank you that it is life-giving, that is sharper than a double-edged sword. That it is uh, water to our parched souls. So, Father, we ask that you would bless now the preaching of your word by the power of your spirit and that you would continue to achieve your purposes through it. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I imagine one day you are going about your business in Watercrest, you're doing your shopping and um suddenly you, you, well, you decide to walk down a, um, you know, a part of the center where there are not many people. And then suddenly a group of men bundle you up, capture you, put you inside a van and kidnap you. And you soon realize that you are being human trafficked. And not only do you end up as a slave... But because of the type of things you are forced to do, you end up in prison with a life sentence. Now, you would surely think that God had left you. That you would break down in, in, in hopelessness. Well, at least I, I would probably think that. Now, while the probability of something like this happening to any of us is, is pretty low... The point is that when we are plunged into tragic circumstances, our initial tendency is usually to think that, oh no, we are living outside of God's will, that He's not blessing us anymore. He's somehow abandoned us. Now, that initial Description there is not fictional, because if you remember the story of Joseph, that's precisely what happened to Joseph. He was human trafficked. He was taken as a slave, and he ended up in prison. Now, just think about that. That's a horrific thing to happen to someone. But what we will see in the text this morning is that, well, God didn't abandon him. In fact, this, that was all a part of God's perfect and good will for Joseph. And so we'll see that, that God was working out his plan for Joseph's life in the midst of being in the valley of the shadow of death. So what we're going to see this morning is that because God is with us, He is the one who sustains us through both good times and the bad times. So, three points. First point, Joseph's success in Potiphar's house. Second point, Joseph and and Potiphar's wife. And lastly, the one who truly obeyed. So, first off, Joseph's success in in Potiphar's house. So, see, last week we were in Genesis 38. We took... uh, um, the the Genesis narrative took a pause from the life of Joseph and instead zoomed in on his brother Judah and, and his sons, and we saw this really, you know, not great story about their wickedness and and rebellion. But now we, the camera shifted back to Joseph, and you'll see a great contrast. Okay, while Judah is the one who ran headlong. Tumbled into wicked into temptation and sin and immorality. Well, we see Joseph here fleeing from it. And the beginning of our chapter picks off where we left Joseph last, which was the sermon that Brandon preached two weeks ago, Genesis, the end of the last verse of Genesis 37. Uh, We saw that. Joseph's been sold into slavery by his brothers. That he ended up in Egypt. And now the first verse of Genesis 39 continues and says, "Now Joseph had been brought down to Egypt, and, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, had bought him from the Ishmaelites, who had brought him down there. So we now introduce to Joseph and his and, and his new life. He's he's now a slave." And he's working for a new master, a guy called Potiphar. And who was Potiphar? Well, he was a high-ranking Egyptian official. He's very close to Pharaoh, so he's a man of ranking and, and stature and obviously great wealth as well. He's the, one of Pharaoh's officers, the captain of the guard. So Joseph is working in, in an important household um, with an influential and powerful master. Okay, note he's also in he's working for Gentiles. Okay, he's working for an Egyptian family. Okay, he's he's no longer in the promised land. So how does Joseph adapt to his, his new circumstances? Hey, remember, he's a slave. He's, he's not there because he wants to be there, he's there against. will He's been ripped away from his family and and everything that he's he's ever known. And now he's in a strange and and, and foreign land. And if if you were in a similar circumstance, if I was in a similar circumstance, I'm sure we'd we'd be full of bitterness and and resentment and perhaps even angry at God for for allowing all that to happen. But verse 2 carries on and, and says, The Lord was with Joseph. And he became a successful man. And he was in the house of his Egyptian master. So Joseph, instead of becoming an angry and twisted young man, instead he flourishes. The text tells that God was with him. Just as God had promised to to be with his great-grandfather Abraham. Remember, back in Genesis 17, 7-8, God established an everlasting covenant with, with Abraham. The nature of that covenant was that God promised to be with Abraham and his offspring, to be his God and them to be his people. And this is exactly what we see, God being faithful to that covenant promise that he made all the way back in Genesis 17 to Abraham's offspring, Joseph. Yeah, that he He He, he is being faithful to Joseph. He is not going to leave him um, or forsake him regardless of, of the circumstances. So what was the result of God being with Joseph? Well, verse 2 tells us that he became a successful man. Hey, So it's clear that Joseph's success, it didn't lie in any unique abilities within himself. Instead, his success was caused by the Lord. And that's exactly what um, the following verse 3 says. It said the Lord caused his success. So God here prospers Joseph and blesses him right in the midst of a not-so-ideal circumstance. Okay, where, where, where God's presences, his blessing follows. The two are in Scripture are always are, are interconnected. Now, as God's blessing Joseph must understand that didn't go unnoticed because verse 3 carries on and says, His master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. So it's incredible. Even Potiphar, okay, this is Joseph's pagan, Gentile, Egyptian master, is able to see, able to acknowledge that Yahweh, the true God of Israel, is with Joseph. And that the Lord is the reason for Joseph's success. And so the result of this, because Potiphar realizes that God's blessing him, Joseph now finds favor in the sight of Potiphar. And so what he does is Potiphar then makes Joseph the overseer of his entire household and puts him in charge of, of almost everything. Um, in his house. And so what happened? What was the result of, of, of Joseph's promotion in Potiphar's household? Well, now, not only is Joseph blessed, but this Egyptian, Gentile, pagan household of Potiphar is experiencing blessing too. That's why verse 5 says, the Lord blessed the Egyptians' house. For Joseph's sake, the blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in house and field. I mean that's that's remarkable that this pagan household is blessed by God through Joseph. But actually it's it's remarkable, but not entirely unexpected. Why is that? Well isn't this precisely what God had promised Abraham in Genesis 12, verse 3. Another one of the covenant promises, a series of covenant promises that God makes to Abraham in Genesis 12, Genesis 15, Genesis 17. Those initial covenant promises. God said, I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So God's promise to bless the nations of the earth through Abraham's seed, it's start, that promise is starting to be fulfilled gradually through Joseph, who's now blessing one of the families of, of, of the earth. So Joseph is now in charge of Potiphar's household, his, his, his master who trusts him with everything. He trusts him implicitly. And despite his status as a slave, despite his circumstances that he's in, nevertheless, God is blessing him and he's causing him and those around him to succeed because God is faithful to his covenant promises. So brings us to our second point: Joseph and part of his wife. From the end of verse 6. Now, so far. Everything seems to be going really well for Joseph. Yes, he's in slavery, but now he's, he's, he's the big cheese in the household. He's got his master's favor. He's, you know, he's, he's probably living quite a, a nice lifestyle in, in Potiphar's house. And in the midst of all the success, there's this throwaway line at the end of verse 6, which says, Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. Now, the Hebrew word for for handsome here can also mean beautiful. So Joseph is a very attractive, very good-looking young lad. And in fact, he's the only man in the Bible who's described using that Hebrew word. Okay, it's that saying something. This guy must have been spectacular. Okay, It's the same word that describes his mother, Rachel. Remember, she was also exceedingly beautiful. It's the same word, "yafe," is used in Genesis twenty nine seventeen. Okay, so he's got his mom's genes. But unfortunately for him, his good, look, his good looks are not a blessing to him in the episode that follows so while he's been faithfully working for potiphar well potiphar's wife takes notice of joseph's good looks and um, desires him so in verse 7 she approaches him in a very forward manner and bluntly commands him saying lie with me You don't get more direct and and forward than that. So, no subtleties. okay? So how does Joseph respond here? Well, let's just pause. This guy is a, a young, attractive man, and everything is going well for him. He's the big shot in the master's house. And now his master's wife wants to sleep with him. Well, I mean, hang many in in his position would have been flattered, and would have been willing to to take this opportunity. I mean, who, who would know about it? He's far away from home and family. It's just going to be their little secret. And after all, what what harm could it do? Just some fun between them. And you see, it's these things that start to form temptation in our minds it's the power of the lure of sin that we start to lose perspective we start to get tunnel vision we don't see reality for for what it is we become our soul becomes ensnared by a lie a false promise that is not going to deliver on all that it is promising. So what does Joseph do in the midst of you know, these strong temptations? Well, he refuses. Okay, and remember, she doesn't, doesn't just approach him once. She, the text says she's doing it day after day after day. Now, you've got to be pretty strong to, to resist that kind of temptation, so why does he do what he he does? Well, look at verses eight to nine. They tell us. Okay, first of all, Joseph is, is not naive. He knows that his master's gonna find out sooner or later, and that then would mark a, a massive breach of trust. I mean, she's his wife, after all, and that would mean that he would be committing adultery. And he's wise enough to see that this wouldn't just be a little bit of fun between them, yeah, but it's going to have far-reaching consequences for key relationships in his life. And he's a man of integrity, so he just can't imagine. You see from the text, he can't imagine that he, he would let down his, his master who's been so good to him. And he realizes that there's going to be a big price to pay for, for this sin, the destruction of, of all the goodwill that's been built up with him. And so, so he realized that he would sin against him. He would commit sin also against her by committing adultery. So he realizes, it, he sees clearly that there are implications to, to what he is, is tempted to do. But not only does Joseph realize that committing sexual immorality with her is going to jeopardize the relationships around him, okay, that's true, okay, that's what we, when we sin, we do damage relationships around us, okay, we sin against our neighbors. But more importantly, When we sin, and this is the dimension that that Joseph gets here as well, is that ultimately our sin is not just a sin against one another. It's a sin against God himself. And that's why he says in, in verse 9, How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? See Joseph has not let this the lure of the forbidden woman blind him to the fact that if he were to continue down this path this would be a great wickedness and sin against God himself so what we see is that Joseph has a healthy fear of God and this is important because he has a sense of God's utter holiness And if you have a sense of the holiness of God, you realize the magnitude of of sin. That it's not just a bit of fooling around. It's not just even that it may hurt some other people, of which obviously it, it would. But he sees it for what it really is. That it is a great wickedness. It is a deep offense against God himself. And the thing is it's much easier for us to sin when we don't have a sense of God's greatness. When we've got a very small view of God, we think that well yeah you know, God doesn't really know what I do with my life. I'm I'll do my own thing. God God doesn't mind or doesn't Care or can't even see me. He doesn't necessarily know my every move. But a healthy fear of God, a high view of God, a biblical view of God, which we see Joseph had, is that, well, he, no, he is indeed holy. He is indeed righteous. He is indeed sovereign. And because of that, there is nowhere that any of us can go where God isn't. He's omnipresent. And if you understand that, that, that that's, that's a big deal. Okay, there's nothing that you can think that God doesn't already know. There's nothing you can say that God doesn't hear. Okay, he's omniscient. And it's precisely because Joseph knows this to be true of God, that that acts as a restraint against sin. Joseph knows that whatever he does, God's there. God's watching. And because God is holy, he detests sin. And so it keeps him from pursuing sin and instead keeps him in obedience to the Lord. So we've been focusing on Joseph, why he flees his temptation. But now we must also focus on the woman from whom he's fleeing. Potiphar's wife. So she is like the woman who's described in Proverbs 5 and Proverbs 7. Now the Proverbs describes two types of woman. The good woman and the bad woman. The good woman's in Proverbs 31. The bad woman, which we see an example here in Potiphar's wife, is in Proverbs 5 and 7. And Proverbs is written primarily as a, you know, written by King Solomon later in his life after he's made all his mistakes. And he's saying to um, to, uh, his, his sons, okay, don't do what I've done. <laughs> don't follow the... Um, The path of the bad woman. And so, how's the bad woman described? Well, Proverbs 5, verse 3 she's the one whose lips drip honey, whose speech is smoother than oil. She's the adulteress who tries to, who leads men astray. She's very convincing, very persuasive. And you can see how she uh, tries to manipulate Joseph. Look at verse 10 okay, in, in Genesis 39. She, she, uh, she works on him gradually. She says, oh, just just come and, and lie next to me. You know, what harm would that be? Just lie next to you. Or just come and be with me. What harm would that be? So these things initially sound harmless, but these small steps lead to a slippery slope that end up in destruction. And that's why Proverbs 7 describes her as loud and wayward and seducing and persuading with, 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 with smooth talk. Yet in the end, he who falls for her is ensnared and her paths lead to Sheol, or to death. And so that's exactly why Proverbs 6.32 says, He who commits adultery lacks sense. He who does it destroys himself. So one day Potiphar's wife corners Joseph in her house and demanding once again that that he lies with her. And wisely, he doesn't have a discussion with her and debate with her. He bolts, literally. Literally. Yeah, he runs so fast that his, his jersey comes off. Okay, so he runs as fast, as fast as he can away from temptation, from sinning against his master, from sinning against God, and from this woman who he knows will only lead him to death. Hey, but now she's got his garment. She left. And so she wastes no time in seizing an opportunity to falsely accuse her of, of raping her. So she raises the alarm among her household and tells her husband the, the same made-up story. See, naturally, Potiphar is enraged, and the result is that Joseph is, is put in prison and punished for a crime that he, he didn't commit. But no, as the text is doesn't is silent. He doesn't Joseph doesn't protest his, his innocence. He um trusts the Lord's hand in, in, in the face of injustice. And now in prison, we see he's in another not-so-great circumstance. Does he despair and think God's left him and the world's coming to an end? No. The Lord is, continues to be with Joseph. He, God, the Lord doesn't abandon him. In verse 21, it says, The Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love, and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. So the, as the Lord granted him, him success in, in Potiphar's house, so again he grants him success here in prison where he, he finds favor from the prison warden and, and he's put in charge over all the other prisoners. And then verse 23 finishes the, the chapter with a statement, and whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. So let's bring us to our final point. Now, is the point of this episode to teach us how to flee temptation and how to run from from bad women? And is the point of this to show us the secret to a life of success and living in, in blessing? Well, we can certainly draw these lessons from this text. But we need to understand that there's more to this text than just some moralistic lessons from the Bible. This text, like every page of the Scripture, points us to Jesus Christ. And in particular, we see here is that Joseph... Points us to Christ. He is, Brendan used this language, typology. Maybe you all didn't understand what that was about. Okay. Jo- Joseph is a type, he's a shadow of Christ. He's an example of the coming Messiah. So, how so? How do we see Christ in the life of, of Joseph, specifically in this text? Well, we s- saw that, that Joseph faced intense temptations to sin in, in, in this passage. But did he succumb to them? No. Okay, he, he resisted these. He feared God and he, he strove to, to obey the Lord. And so th- this points us to, to Jesus. Okay, in Matthew 4, 1 to 11, as Jesus is, is about to enter his, his earthly ministry, the, the Spirit led him out. Into to the wilderness where, where Satan tempts him. Okay, in intent, in he faced intense temptations from Satan to sin, but did he succumb to them? No. Okay, he stood firm. He, with, he, he, he didn't budge. He hold, 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 uh, held fast to, to God's word and was faithful in obedience to the Lord. And not only then, in, in Matthew 4, but throughout his earthly existence, Jesus did, didn't sin. Okay, He's the only sinless one, the only perfectly righteous one. Yeah, we also saw in this text is that Joseph was falsely accused of sin. Well, he, he was innocent. And even in his... You know, he put in prison. He, he, he remained silent in the face of his accusers. He received a punishment that that he didn't deserve yeah he went to prison so in in a similar way jesus he was also falsely accused of sin he was accused by the jewish authorities of of um, blasphemy but he was innocent in fact he was completely sinless he didn't commit one sin whole time he was on earth and In his trial, we know from the Gospels that he remained silent before his accusers. He didn't try and defend himself. As Isaiah 53 verse 7, saying about Jesus that he was like a sheep that is led to the slaughter. He did not open his mouth. And so he was sentenced to death by crucifixion and he endured a penalty that he didn't deserve because he was sinless. So, though Joseph resisted temptation, like Christ, you must understand that, well, Joseph was not free from sin. Okay? He was a sinful man like you and me. And though he was punished unjustly in prison, he was soon set free, as we will see in, in, in the coming chapters. So, while Joseph is definitely a, a hero in the story, you must understand that he, he's still a flawed hero. He's a hero that points us to the true hero, the one who is greater than Joseph, and that is Jesus Christ. Because Jesus is the only one who resisted every sin and temptation. He's the one, the only one who lived in perfect obedience to God throughout his, his life and worth. And he on earth and he's the only one who took upon himself all the sins of god's people and endured death on a cross that he didn't deserve so to bring it to a close well, the reality is that all of us face temptations to sin every day of our lives and it's a continual struggle it's it's a part of a part of our uh, uh, sanctification is that by the power of the Holy Spirit, God is putting to death sin in us. And he's empowering us to, to flee from temptation. And thankfully, as, as Hebrews 4 says, we have a, a faithful one in Christ who is able to help us in the midst of our temptation. Why? Because as our high priest, he has been there. He has endured the, the temptations that, uh, that we endure every day. And he's overcome them. So we've got a high priest who's sympathetic to us in the midst of our temptation. But at the same time, there's not one of us here who has perfectly withstood temptation. We know that to be to, to be true. Here, all of us have, have sinned and, and um, fallen short of, of the glory of God and none of us are righteous on our own. None of us can ever be good enough on our own before the Lord. We have not done enough good works. We will never be able to do enough good works to make ourselves right before the Lord. And because of that, all of us deserve the penalty of sin, which is death. But Thankfully, the Lord sent his son to earth, a greater Joseph, the one who has resisted every temptation and sin, the only one who has lived a perfect life in full obedience to the Lord. And that's why Jesus is the only righteous one, the only perfect man who's, who's ever lived. It, not only did he, he live the perfect life, but he faced the penalty for sins that we all deserve, death on, on a cross. And so the truth of the gospel is that if we trust in Christ, instead of God seeing us um, full of our sins, What He does is that He removes our sins from us as far as the East is from the West. Not only does He cancel our debt, but He credits us the righteousness of Christ. He clothes us in Christ's perfect righteousness. And this means that because Jesus is the one that only only truly obeyed God, He's the only one that, that deserves to go to heaven because of His good works. When when, Christ, when God clothes us in the righteousness of Christ, he credits Jesus' good works to us. He credits Jesus' obedience to us, the same obedience that has earned heaven. And that's why we, we trust in Christ. We get to go to heaven, not because of our own obedience, but because of the obedience of Christ and his temptation, his resisting of temptation to sin and his obedience. So brothers and sisters, repent and trust in Christ. In the greater Joseph, who gives you strength to resist temptation. Who because he rose from the grave, he forgives your sins. And he is our God with us. He's our Emmanuel who promises us, just like he promised Joseph, that though we Walk through the valley of the shadow of death, he will never leave us nor forsake us. He will never remove his presence from us. And in Christ, he leads us in his blessings, his goodness, in his goodness and mercy, where one day we will dwell in his house forever. Amen.